edition of season two of Star Trek Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. As some of our listeners may know, you can now go online to find several non-spoiler reviews of the season two premiere episode entitled Brother. For this podcast, we have chosen not to discuss those reviews because we would rather not affect your viewing of the show. Also, like last season, we would like to caution our listeners not to watch a single episode of Discovery and then decide whether or not you would like to continue with the series. Like last season, Discovery is written in a serialized format. Therefore, it is unfair to simply judge the season based on one episode. For instance, you would not read, for instance, uh, chapter three of a book and review it as if your critique would not be better informed by reading the other chapters. So for today's podcast, we will first provide some context to season two by listing our top 10 highlights of season one. Then we will discuss content from two interviews with showrunner Alex Kurtzman that provide more insight on season two and the future of the Star Trek, inter- uh, excuse me, the Star Trek franchise. Then finally, each of us will cite five things that excite us about season two. So, so, Gary, let's get going by hearing your listing of your top ten highlights of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Okay, but first I want to um, start by listing out the, the primary criteria that I use to make my selection so everybody has a sense of where I'm coming from. Okay. First, I looked at I, incidents that I thought profoundly altered the course of the story arc that was used in season one. And secondly, what I did was I looked for incidents that that I thought had special importance in regards to the character development of the characters throughout the show. So these were turning points Mm -hmm. in where the character's arc was going and where they eventually ended by the end of the season. Okay, Um, that makes sense to me. Okay, so here are my top ten most impactful moments in season one. Okay, first off, Number 10, because we're going in reverse order, number 10 is Dr. Colbert helps Stamets escape the mycelial coma. Basically, when he comes to him after he's dead, and he assists him in getting out of the coma. Number 9 is Emperor Giorgio kills all but one of her, her advisors. I mean, I thought that was a scene in regards to character development that showed you the ruthlessness to which Giorgio would go. And it also helped explain why no one knew about the, mirror, the, the Prime Universe in the episode Mirror Mirror in the original series. Uh, number eight was the Mirror Giorgio assumes the identity and the authority of Captain Philippa Giorgio, which is a game changer and is, and is actually going to be impacting the story even since this season. Number seven was Saru is seduced by being free of constant fear on Pavo. I think that moment, which you have to understand, 
was a moment where he was willing to throw everything away, his whole Star, Starfleet commission, his whole involvement with Starfleet. In fact, and he wanted to force both Bynum, uh, Burnham and Tyler to stay there as well so that he could have this sense of freedom. And he wasn't, he wasn't under the influence of the Povins. This was him acting on his own selfish needs and desires. And that's different than the person that we see who has been so dedicated to Starfleet. Um, next is the reveal that Captain Gabriel Lorca was actually a person from the Mirror Universe. I mean, we had been suspecting all along throughout the season, as I had constantly said, that Lorca did not behave the way a regular Starfleet officer would react. And it became apparent that the reason why he wasn't is because he wasn't from the Prime Universe. So... Um, it was, it was also, it, so it had a huge impact on the storyline. Uh, number five was Lieutenant Commander Stamets executing the 133 spore drive jumps that he does to map out the Klingon ship, which is important in itself in regards to that strategy, but it also leads to Lorca being able to go back into the mirror universe. So it's an event that actually changes the course of the story, in fact, for the remainder of the season. Um, number four was Dr. Culber's discovery of the physical and mental alterations of Ash Tyler. It was one of the worst-kept secrets that there was something <laughs> up with Ash Tyler. Okay, we know that. But that moment played out in a way that it, it set the course for the way Tyler was going to be going, going for the remainder of the season, season, as well as what happens to Culber. So that one moment had an impact on more than one character. Um, number three, I put as Michael Burnham grabbing Emperor Jojo as she beams back to Discovery. That act is going to be critical in regards to um, the impact that it has not only on the rest of the season from season one, but also season two. Because as I said, Mira Giorgio is going to be involved. She's now a member of Section 31, and I think that's going to be an interesting storyline that will be playing out this season. Number two was Takuvma killing of Captain Giorgio, and by exchange, Burnham killing Takuvma. It is the inciting incident that actually sets off the war, more so than her the act of the battle at the binaries, I think because they, they have a sense of you... Of both factions, both the faction that was followers of Takuma, as well as the Klingons having justification to going after the, the Federation. And then finally, number one, I think was Michael Burnham's act of mutiny, which endangers the crew of the Shinzu. I think that singular thing, which is such so pivotal um, in the story, is the most impactful. Um, because the, I see the first season as the journey of Michael from celebrated, you know, rising star commander in Starfleet to somebody who loses all of that. And, but through the course of the experiences of this season, she comes to discover, no pun intended, she comes to discover things about herself and the, the direction so that she, at the end of the season, is less, is no longer the one totally devoted to the, to the Vulcan way of thinking, but she's, at, but she's not completely endorsing all the, the challenges that are human. So there's, there's that. I think it's a really important and powerful moment. 
All right. Okay. Well, you know, I had similar choices than you, uh, but I do have a few that you didn't mention. But uh, here's my list. Okay. Okay, so starting at number 10, um, I think it's important to note that at the end of the season, Laurel, who was a former disciple of the Klingon leader Takuvna, be- becomes the leader of the Klingon Empire. So this is going to set up this other dynamic of conflict. I mean, obviously, the Klingon Empire, um, she does it actually by blackmailing them, right. by saying, look, I'll just blow us all up if you don't, uh, if, if I cannot become leader and then stop this war. So, um, so that's definitely going to be a factor in the second season. For number nine, I have that a war-weary Federation command allows Mir uh, Philippa Giorgio to assume the identity of the Federation's Captain Giorgio and lead a plan to subdue the Klingons. So, for much the same reasons as Gary said, this is going. This was a pivotal event um, that is going to have ramifications in season two. Uh, now that we know that in season two that. Uh, this the former emperor Giorgio is going to be part of section 31. Uh, number eight for me is that after Mirror, Mirror Lorca is killed, Michael Burnham takes Mirror Giorgio against her will back to discovery, and that's for the same reason that Gary had cited a little earlier. Uh, for number seven, uh, Captain Lorca alters coordinates of a space jump, which places Discovery in the mirror universe. For number six, I have um, Lieutenant Ash Tyler's killing of Dr. Colbert, which definitively reveals his submerged identity as that of Bach. And as Gary said, it was the worst kept secret probably of the season. Probably. Okay. Then number five, Upon escaping an agony chamber in the mirror universe, Captain Lorca reveals himself actually be a rogue officer of the Terran Empire. For number four, Captain Lorca uh, provides convicted mutineer Michael Burnham with a position on the ship. So, you know, later on we find out why that was so important for him who was really mirrored Lorca to have Michael, and that was because you know he was in love with her doppelganger in the mirror universe. Right. For number three, uh, Michael Burnham slays Takuvma in retaliation uh, of him killing Captain Giorgio. Number two. Uh, Lieutenant Stamets physically connects to the spore drive as a navigator to make possible extraordinary interstellar travel for the USS Discovery. A lot of things that went on this season wouldn't have happened if that did not take place. And then finally, I agree with Gary that the number one uh, incident from last year is that Michael Burnham is charged with is charged as a mutineer. And she's sentenced, actually, to life imprisonment for taking charge of the Shenzhou. She's also unjustly blamed for the initiation for, of the Federation Klingon War because it was going to happen anyways. Uh, the, the, the Klingons were there to provoke a war, 
And uh, she recognized that they really needed to, right. you know, meet force with force right, right. away. Right. Um, because that would have stopped the war from being as widespread as it was. It, it was it was evident from their attacks on Federation probes in deep space that they were becoming more aggressive, and they were re, they were actually responding to what they thought was incursions by Federation into Klingon space that they felt that they hadn't been protecting aggressively. In fact, that's basically what Takuvma tells his followers. And so you're right. You're absolutely right about that. So I still, after this exercise, which I really like doing, I found it difficult to pick just 10 incidents. And so I wonder about you. Do you have any honorable mentions that you want to cite? I got about five honorable mentions that I thought, that, and they're not listed in any particular order, but they're the five things I thought also had um, an interesting uh, aspect or revealing of character primarily. I mean, specifically the when Tyler slash Vok um, attacks his mirror universe counterpart. Yeah, that was good. Because yeah. what that does is he attacks him because because the um, the Vok in the in the mirror universe isn't following the Klingon traditions as he knows them. Right. And right. so he attacks him for being a false. Klingon. What he felt was a a false exactly, Klingon. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because and, because he's afraid he's afraid of assimilation. Right, right. Which right. he feels that if you join right. forces with other beings, exactly. then you're gonna use lose your purity. And here you have Vok that their Vok, the, the mirror Vok, who's the leader the rebel the rebel leader of of a coalition of Vulcans, of Tellarites of Andorians, oh, yeah. all these creatures that, all these other species that he naturally would have contempt for. Right, he abhors those right, others. Right, yeah. and, and that's not following to Kuvma's ideal of remain Klingon. That's right. Okay. Um, number, uh, number, another honorable mention that I had is when Orc, when uh, Lorca allows Cornwell to be captured, and he refuses to attempt a rescue mission. Yeah, that's Admiral Cornwell. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. The that act by itself is the kind of thing that reveals there's something else about him. Right. Because he's not. He's he's shown right. us before that he had shown us that he was not somebody who was fearful, and that he would take risk, and he was he would go into danger, and in some cases things do things that that Starfleet Command may not want him to do. That was him actually trying to get rid of somebody who was going to take away his authority and his position as commander of the Discovery. And he was basically eliminating her, basically taking her off of the table. So if the Klingons killed her, well, that was just too damn bad. Well, and he expected her to be killed. He expected her to die, right? Right. Yeah, she's too tough for that. Um, I also had Burnham and Tyler's kiss for the first time in magic that makes the sanest man go mad, they they're constantly doing that time loop, and on one of them they actually kiss, which is the initial action of that that begins their romance, and it's also something that shows the difference between Burnham and that she's starting to discover. She's starting to desire human emotional engagement with with other humans. That's right, and that's becoming something vital to her. In fact. That's it is that secret that she had never been kissed, which is what well, she. Well, she's never been in love. She's never been in love that she had revealed to Stamets. Mm-hmm. That so that when they met again in the loop, 
he could say to her to get her confidence that they had already gone through this experience more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, Saru assumes command and inspires the crew to escape the mirror universe. At the end of this season, in, in, um, in the second to the last episode, when they come back, that Saru is a different person than we meet at the beginning of this season. In fact, or the person who wanted to stay on Pavo, or the person that stay, wanted to stay on Pavo, because here you have at the beginning of the season, part of what Burnham constantly badges, ridicules, and criticizes him on is his more cautious, apprehensive approach to his job. That he is not a risk taker because, as he said, he is constantly he 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 is a Creature designed on interpreting fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but one the thing he says in that that scene when he's trying to encourage the the crew that they can make it back is that he 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 tells them, I my people can can sense death. And he tells them, I do not sense death in this moment All for right. us. Right. And that is a way of, of, that was something that's more telling to him mm-hmm. as well as to the crew that he had the, because, you know, when he takes command earlier on, he has to, he attempts to try um, to, to gauge his decisions against other Starfleet captains. Again, he's using he's trying to use mechanisms or mechanics to try to figure out how to do the job, as opposed to having confidence in his own decision making ability. And so, that moment in itself really says something about who Saru is at the end of the journey of season one. And the final one I had uh, was the Burnham's moment of being reinstated to Starfleet as an officer. As an officer in the right. last episode, that right. that speech that we hear. At the be- early beginning of the of the last episode, that then we finally see her speech, her f- finish the speech at the end of the episode. That moment is one that actually kind of capsulates her experience throughout the season. Yeah. So anyway, those so, are the ones I have. So I agree with those um, as being other important turning points. Right. But I have a few more. So I want to f- uh, first mention Saru. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, Saru learns how to live with his fear and take on the attributes of being courageous, resourceful, and also compassionate as Mm -hmm. a Starfleet Mm -hmm. captain. Uh, Also, um, Lieutenant Ash Tyler and Ensign Sylvia Tilly help Michael uh, more fully realize her potential as a human being. And then, finally, Michael learns... She had not failed to meet the expectations of her foster Vulcan father, Sarek, by not being accepted for studies at the Vulcan Science Academy. So it's revealed that when given a strict choice between his son, Spock, or Michael, Sarek chooses Spock as a candidate for the academy. Although, ironically, when later offered the appointment, Spock refuses to accept it. So, um, so I have a feeling that with Spock being, that Spock-Michael relationship being a focal point of season two, that we're going to, somehow that's going to come up, come up. And so, you know. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yep. I think that would be an important aspect. So, n- next we thought 
Uh, it would be helpful to provide some insightful takeaways from two recent interviews of Discovery showrunner Alex Kurtzman. One of the interviews was on January 9th, and it was with Variety journalist Todd Spangler at the International Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And the other interview is um, you can find on the, on the Variety podcast called TV Take, and the interviewer is Daniel Holloway. So, Gary, why don't you start off? Okay, well, Kurtzman claims that CBS executives first came to him about an idea about doing a Star Trek show about five years ago with you know, the idea of creating a new business model that would involve the streaming network that, that where it would have heavily based on Star Trek content. So this is not something that, that basically the idea of having more than one Star Trek show running on CBS All Access was not something new. Right. Okay. Uh, Kurtzman at that time was too busy with the pr- film projects, such as, you know, the film, the Star Trek films that he was right. he was working on. So he put it aside and offered in, until you know teaming up with writer producer Brian Fuller, you know, also another longtime Star Trek fan. Well, actually, Kurtzman says that. Um, he was a Star Trek fan, but he was more of a Star Wars fan. Yeah. But as he was growing up. Yeah. He, uh, whereas Brian Fuller was a Star Trek nerd. In fact, his favorite show. Well, he's a Star Trek aficionado. Aficionado, okay. In fact, his favorite show right. is Deep Space Nine. Well, everybody with an intelligence okay, has, anyway. loves Deep Space Nine. All right, all right. All right. So. Um, to begin, basically the two were charged with envisioning a, a new series to attract subscribers to CBS All Access. They agreed the series would star a woman of color as the lead, number one, and because they had never done it. And basically the way Kurtzman characterized it is that you know the idea of inclusion was not something that you had to do on the arbitrary. It was... It was assumed, at least if you look at the ideals of the TV show and that was presented, it was assumed that that's just a state of being. That's not something special. It's basically that's what it is. Well, that, that's really more fully manifested later. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Absolutely. so due to creative differences, Fuller left the show before its premiere but remained in the credits throughout the first season as its creator. It was during post-production work on the Discovery pilot that Kurtzman said Star Trek took on special meaning for him, especially after undertaking his last film project, which left him completely unsatisfied with the product. And, you know, sometimes that's the way it is, that you do something that is horrible. And so what, what, what was that film? It was the 20, 2017 film The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise, <laughs> naturally. That was supposed to open up this whole dark universe for Universal. You know, Kirkman served as producer, director, and writer. He called it a painful experience. Right. So even though he had previously worked on, on Star Trek films, he said he really fell in love with Discovery and its possibilities. In addition, he contended that during these times... 
these times, these political times, um, it's hopeful Vulcan message of infinite diversity and infinite combinations is more important now than ever. Thus, he, although, as you know, I think I mentioned to you, Gary, that that message of infinite diversity and infinite combinations really wasn't something that the Vulcans practiced. No. Okay. But (laughs) still, he, uh, Kurtzman, accepted the role to guide and develop Star Trek into a more comprehensive entertainment enterprise to continue to demonstrate the emotional and intellectual capacity of human beings. Yeah, it's interesting that this model is no longer being confined to Star Trek All Access. The shows... Um, well, we, the CBS All Access. Well, CBS All Access, yeah. Well, why don't we just call it Star Trek All Access? <laughs> it's going to have like five series. We might as well rename it. All right. Um, the shows we do know that will be on the streaming network are Star Trek Discovery. They're going to do short treks as an ongoing anthology series. Mm-hmm. Um, an animated adult series called Lower Decks that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. A still unnamed series featuring Jean-Luc Picard. Um, and regarding the latter series that's supposed to premiere in the fall, excuse me, Kurtzman said, unlike Discovery, it's going to be filmed in Los Angeles, which we know they got a great tax abate, uh, break from the city of Los Angeles, and so they're going to save a lot of money doing it down there. Mm-hmm. And it'll revolve around a, a, what happened at the destruction of the Romulan homeworld that personally affects Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also a animated, another animated series that's in pre-production stages that will be aimed at young people that will probably be launched on another platform other than CBS All Access. They want to try to grow the audience uh, interested in Star Trek, and they think the best way to do that is do it through another platform that won't be you know, behind a paywall, per se. So there are other takeaways about Discovery, and that is Kurtzman said that even though the short treks that premiered over the last four months work as individual stories, there will be a connection between all of the short treks and season two. Also, season two will revolve around the concept of family, whether literal or figuratively, against the backdrop of solving the mystery of the phenomena of the seven red bursts that appear simultaneously throughout the galaxy. Of course, the main focus um, of the story will be on Michael and Spock, and how and and through that, through watching their uh, relationship, we're going to understand what happens between the two of them that leads to Spock never mentioning her again for the rest of his life. Yeah. So Kurtzman acknowledged the risk that they took by introducing the relationship between Michael and Sark's family last season. I mean, that's a that was one of the biggest issues that I heard from Star Trek fans because they said, well, you've never heard of her before. How can she be his sister? Well, and that's 
actually an issue that I brought up I on know, our first constantly. podcast. Yeah. Well, not constantly, but yeah, well, on the first podcast. Not but constantly. but unlike other fans, I was willing to give it a go to see what they were going to do with it. And I just think that we need to have an open mind about it. Yeah. yeah. Now, what he also said is that he felt that such a story had a tremendous dramatic possibilities. And he even consulted Leonard Nimoy's family about their plans in, in reverence of the original character who pr- portrayed Spock. He went on to claim that literally he auditioned over 400 actors for the role of Spock without initially telling them the role that they were being uh, they were being auditioned for. Mm-hmm. Um, the actors read sides of other characters until Kurtzman and his staff narrowed, narrowed down their choices. He said he opted for Ethan Peck for the I- iconic role for these reasons. Quote, He conveyed to me that he, too, was struggling through something similar to what Spock is struggling with. I think... That coupled with the fact that he was so clearly willing to dive wholeheartedly into this once he understood what was actually happening and who he was playing, he was so beautifully committed to saying, I'm going to, I'm going to go as deep as I can here. Um, I'm going to go as deep into this character, and I'm terrified, humbled, terrified. I'm living in Leonard's shadow, and I'm living in Zach's shadow. Yeah, Kurtzman went on to say that during season two, we will see Spock struggling with how he will try to find a balance between emotion and logic. By season's end, we will see how his conflicts with Michael prepare him to become the Vulcan. We will see in you know the original series, and that is... Um, on the Enterprise with Kirk as the captain. Right. You know, I also find it interesting that Kurtman talked about how Discovery is designed for a global audience, which is, you know, unique in the fact that the other series, although they have played well overseas, but they've never been focused with that kind of intent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, he says that... They were always designed that's that way. That's not true. That's not that's true. Not yeah, true I agree all. with they, you. The, all the other, other series were directly designed and focused on an American audience, and the desire was to see if any of them could translate overseas, and right. that's really how it worked. I mean, he also said that was why the visuals were so important. He believes you should be able to turn off the sound and understand the essence of what is going on without the dialogue. I mean, that rationale behind the show is that it's difficult to translate English dialogue into other global languages while, you know, accurately reflecting the nuances of the original language. But ironically, without that understanding, with with that understanding, it's curious why this fact is not explored more fully in the show when, when Discovery comes in contact with aliens. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their universal translator is, you know, it's their MacGuffin. It's what they use right. to kind of, you know, it's like, oh, well, we automatically know the language. You know, it can't be effective with those beings that have never, they've never before encountered. Right. Perfect example, as you brought up, was the short trek, The Brightest Star. Right. You know, how was Giorgio talking to Saru right. when they had never had ongoing communications with 
um, the Kelpians before. Right. So how exactly. would the translator work? Exactly. If it didn't have a context. Exactly. You know. So even in the series, you know, that is chronically set before. That's an after. Excuse me. Set after discovery, there there were always issues with communication, and I think in the best episode that deals with this subject is from Next Generation, and it's called Darmok. You know, um, in it, Captain Picard finds himself unable to communicate with the alien captain until he understands the basis of the officer's language is metaphor right. and not literal. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it takes. It, But it takes human engagement. It, ta- right. it takes interaction with that person to try to learn the context of what they're trying to communicate to you. Oh, exactly. So, <clears throat> so moving from that, let's now talk about what excites us about season two. So um, I wanted to start off by talking about five things about season two that I'm looking forward to. Sure. And um, I don't mind going first this time. No, go right ahead. (laughs) Go right ahead. Okay. So um, these are going to be in order of importance to me. I guess so. So first, Michael and Spock. Spock and Michael. Yeah. You know, I really can't wait to find out why Spock has never mentioned his sister. And if the reasons turn out to be lame, you will hear me groan no matter where you are listening in the world, okay? <laughs> it won't make me stop watching the show, but because I'm really caught up in the show, and I really enjoy Sonequa Martin-Green oh, as Michael Burnham, So, but... Um, I it's such a big buildup. I don't, I, you know, I'm almost believing that there's just no way they can come up with a satisfying answer, but we'll see. Yeah, they got to nail that landing. Yes, they do. Uh, so my the second thing I'm looking forward to is that now that Kurtzman has stated there will be a connection between season two and the storylines of short tracks of the short tracks. I am most interested in learning how Calypso will connect to Discovery since that particular short trick takes place on a ship, uh, on the ship which was supposed to be the Discovery, which has been abandoned for 1,000 years into the future. Right, right. So I'm really looking forward to see um, how that's going to interconnect. Then from the trailer, I can see from the trailer for season two. Yeah, the last one. Yeah, I can see Saru will be re- be reunited with his sister Serana. So I am looking forward to how that will come about and whether he or the Federation are about to save the Kelpians from the the oppression and exploitation of the of the Bao. Number four. So being a sucker for romantic storylines. I am definitely interested in what will become of the Michael and Ash Tyler romance. I would at least like to see it come to a more satisfying closure than what happened at the end of of the last season. Mm -hmm. And for my fifth, the fifth thing I'm looking forward to is that I'm anxious to find out how or in what form Dr. Hugh Colbert will come back to the show. Is it only temporary? Will it truly be Colbert, or will it be some type of doppelganger? Will Colbert and Stamets become a couple again? Yeah, because, you know, that's the interesting thing. So if you think about the difference where they rolled out season two as opposed to the they rolled out season one, 
they were the season one. They were really tight lip about right a lot of information. Very secretive. Very secretive, and and it was only through some some people, Jonathan Frakes primarily, who spilled beans on a number of things right. like the Mirror Universe and right. other stuff that those things got revealed. But for the most part, a lot of the major developments were kept hush hush. Right. And you know, but this season they've been more willing to display, give you information, not, not and not give you information about or give you the evidence of something that's happening without the explanation about how they get there. Right. Like perfect example when they've done the panels at you know San Diego, New York, with the one we saw at Fan Expo. Culber was on stage. Yeah. I mean, Wilson Cruz was on stage. Right. And they never explained how he's going to be in the show, but they kept showing us that he's going to be in the show. Somehow. Somehow. We don't which, know how. Which, which I appreciate them just coming out and giving us that, inf- that bit of information right. and withholding the important part because that, was a, that death was somewhat controversial to a number of fans. Oh, yeah. Who thought that it was once again showing, you know, you, you, even when you do something like creating a gay couple in a show, they can't stay together. Right, so they're going to be killed off. One's going to be killed off, and the other one has to be the tragic gay character who oh, has yeah. to constantly pine for their lost love. That's right. And so in this context, they're actually... The, their relationship is going to be continued in some fashion. We just don't know how or what the capacity that that is. So that's good. So what about you, Gary? What five things are you looking forward to in season two? Well, I got five, <laughs> and then not, and then not in any particular order. Okay. But these are the things I am looking forward to. Uh-huh. Um, number one, I'm the, the return to Kaminar that we seen again in the last trailer mm-hmm. that Burnham. Uh, accompanies Saru back to his home planet. I think that's really important, considering how in The Brightest Star, it's clear that when when he leaves with Giorgio, he's told he can't return. He's never able to return. Right, and right. yet we see him on the planet right. dressed in his in, in Kaminar, you know, clothing with somebody who is not a Kelpian. That's right. You know, so that by the, the very existence of Burnham in that is going to break the prime directive or general order one, as they call it in this series. Unless uh, there's some compelling reason why right. he came back to the planet. Right, right, right. Which I suspect is probably going to be the case mm-hmm. in the storyline. Um, second is the possibility of seeing the Bual. I'm very interested in the predator <laughs> species that um, has been discussed so much and I want I, I'm I'm really excited about the possibility of actually seeing them and seeing how they function in society and how that will have an impact both on Saru and on the Federation. Because if there's a species out there that actually preys on another species, I think the Federation has an obligation to do something about that in some kind of capacity. Specifically if the predator species has um, an advantage technologically that they're utilizing to basically subjugate the the prey species. That's right. Um, my third one is the discovery, discovering the nature of Spock's relationship with Burnham, but not just Burnham, with Sarek and Amanda at this moment. Because when we see him in Journey to Babel, which this, is this is in the original series. In the original series. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was about to say that. But thank you for for highlighting it. When we see Spock in the 
episode, the original series episode, Journey to Babel, it's clear that Kirk and his and the other crew members of the Enterprise have never heard Spock talk about who his parents are or what position or authority they hold. In fact, he's probably re- retained all information about his family life away from them. That's a clear and deliberate act. Mm-hmm. And I know I know that the, this season is going to be dealing with the relationship between Spock and Burnham, but I think it's also significant in regards to how he addresses his parents. Because right. here's the thing, and again, this is based on the information we have from season one. As you said, in Lethe, he find, we find out that Sarek had a choice. One of his children could go to the Vulcan Science Academy, but not both of them. Even though both of them had the ability to, they both passed, they both couldn't get in. They, um, the fact that Sarek chooses Spock, his blood relation over Burnham, has an impact on their their relationship that eventually she does willingly deal with in spite of the fact that she feels disappointed in him choosing his choosing spot. Well, I want to correct you for a minute what? because actually we don't know if it, it, it looks like yes, yeah, Spock will have the ability, but she's the one who has passed everything. This, this is the next step. You're right, you're right. Spock, we don't know that for sure. We don't have, yet. We don't have that you're absolutely right. We don't have that information. So he chooses right. he, even he, though he knows that she's qualified. Right, right. He still chooses his biological he, he, son. Right, right. And I think that in itself, so that when Spock turns down the, the opportunity, that is a larger disappointment, I think, to Sarek right. than it would be. Because not only that, because of what it cost him to do that. That's I mean, right. he disappoints right. Burnham for Spock, and then Spock tosses the opportunity away. And I think that's going to be a major thing that's going to play out in regards to their relationship. And we will finally probably figure out not only why he doesn't talk about Burnham, but why he doesn't reveal information about Sarek and Amanda. That's right. Because they don't. If you, if I, if I'm, if I'm correct, we don't get the half Vulcan blood jokes that Bones plays. Until after that episode, he talks about him being a Vulcan. There are insults that Bones throws at him about being a Vulcan, but we don't get the half breed and all those other things that, that play out in the series until after that episode. Yeah, yeah, I. You know what uh, I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah. that knowledge is only a is only acquired when they actually meet the two people wow. who is his parents. So again, I think all of that all of that being said, actually has an impact on. The Spock, and I think it'll play nicely into what we already know about Spock as well. That's right. Um, I know I went on long about that, but I have two more. Um, one is I want to see the circumstances of Calypso tie into Discovery this season. Calypso was my best love short trek. I really, really loved that. I loved the way it was written. I loved the way it was executed. I know it was controversial with some fans of the show because they thought that it was a good episode, but it wasn't necessarily Star Trek, meaning that they didn't see a, a definitive Star Trek connection. Um, well, it was, took place on the Discovery. Yeah, but you know how some people are very particular about aspects <laughs> of, of Star Trek. In any event, it was a controversial issue. Okay. Ep- episode, okay. rather. And... Um, 
I absolutely adored it. I thought that it worked well. I did too. And I really wanted to see Aldous Hodge as Kraft again. I, yeah. He was an interesting, engaging character. Yes. The circumstances around him were interesting. And so hopefully we'll, we'll be, I'm looking forward to seeing how that story arc kind of connects to the discovery story uh, story this season, and then finally, again, another thing I'm very I'm very excited about because I'm really excited about the things that, that I don't know that are going to be revealed to me. Um, I'm really excited about learning more about Captain Christopher Pike and and Number One. I I know that in the books, she uh, Number One has the title has the name or has been named um, Commander Luna. Um, I don't know if, you know, we know that in Star Trek... The, the novels aren't the, canon. The, the nine novels aren't canon, and the writers on the shows and the movies have never been, you know, been um, held to that. There have been some elements from the books that have gotten incorporated in stories, but not necessarily all of it. Right. So we'll see how that plays out. But I'm really interested in finding more out more about Pike. I think I've always found Jeffrey Hunter's performance enigmatic and the performance of the guy in the moving wheelchair really <laughs> completely unsatisfying compared to the guy you talk about in the, in the menagerie in the menagerie yeah. yeah and so what i want to see what i'm looking forward to is learning more about the man who we who who happens between those two events that's right Happen, happens between the guy who gets Captured on Talos Four, and the guy who's dr- running around in a really weird mechanical uh, wheelchair. I want to find out about that guy. I want to find out about what kind of officer he is and what kind of things he does. And and I think that the show's gonna present us with a number of very exciting opportunities this season. Yeah, I agree with you. I am truly looking forward to Anson Mount's portrayal of that character. So with that being said, both of us are really excited about season two of Star Trek Discovery, which begins when? On January 17th. And here's how to watch it. So uh, in in the United States, of course, you can watch it at CBS All Access. Obviously, we feel like it's worth the money. So (laughs) just come off your either $10 if you want it for commercial-free episodes. Or the $6, I think. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's... No, it's $6 with the ads, and then it's $10 without the ads, I think. Okay. So um, I think we think it's worth it. In Canada, you can watch it on the Space Channel. And beginning on January 18th, the very next day, you can watch it in Canada on Crave TV. And the rest of the world, you get to see it on Netflix. We're, we're hoping that all of our international fans will be able to also see the four short treks, which played out over the last several months on Netflix when um, they begin streaming the series. There's been no communication as to whether that's going to be part of the package that Netflix gets. Right. So we are resuming the weekly installments of our podcast. Uh, So look for our episode reviewing the season two premiere entitled Brother. uh, It'll be up by Sunday evening, January 20th. So until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on Twitter at Star Trek AOD, Facebook at facebook.com 
slash Star Trek AOD or at our website, StarTrekAOD.net, where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. Also, um, consider emailing the show at StarTrekAOD at gmail.com. Specifically, why don't you come up with your own list of 10 most impactful moments that you thought occurred in season one? And, and, let, and we'll share them. We'll actually put them up online and we'll, 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 let them, we'll let other fans see them so we can compare and we can talk about that as well. But until then, live long and prosper.